have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, good morning and aloha and welcome to the Believer's Journey. Uh, it's uh, good to have you here again. It's been a wonderful week. And um, today we have an, an amazing guest. His name is Daniel Watford. And I have to say senior because there's three of them. That's right. <laughs> He's got a junior and a third. So it's really kind of interesting. However, uh, before we get started, I want to share with you one of my uh, sponsors uh, called um, Trade Show Displays are making masks. And so they made me a mask of my logo on here, The Believer's Journey. And um, it's pretty cool. So now I get a mask with, with my own logo and my own show on, on it. So it's kind of nice. They made me a couple of them. So anyway, um, we're going to talk about a servant's heart today and what it is to have a servant's heart and to have a, a heart that basically, if, if it's a servant's heart, it's a heart like Jesus. So, and my guest, I think, is probably one of the perf most perfect people I know to be on this show to be able to share that. Anyway, um, welcome, Daniel. It's good to be here, Alan. I'm just excited to be in this place with you at this time, going with this subject. Thank you very much for having me. Well, it's interesting, my, um, my relationship with you, I mean, you're, you're just an incredible guy. I mean, uh, I, I've known your wife for a little longer than you, mm -hmm. and um, she always said, you need to talk to my husband, you need to get his story, you need to hear his story, and ask him about his story, you know, and she kept bugging me. <laughs> so, and the funniest thing is when we sat down, I need to ask your story, he goes, well, which part? <laughs> so anyway, oh. it's, been, it's been fun. It's been enjoyable. So, but let me, let me introduce you. Uh, I want to, there's a write-up on our website, and I, I guess the website, uh, your website from your church has a, pretty much the same uh, write-up. Yes, it does. That's Praise Cathedral of San Antonio, praisecathedralsa.org. Yeah. So, and you'll see that, um, that link on, uh, flashing on, on my screen as we uh, do the show today, but if you go to our uh, website, thebelieversjourney.net, and go to the guest page, uh, you'll find the write-up with, um, with Daniel, and you'll find there's two links there, uh, one to his uh, church and one to his church web, uh, Facebook page. So let me, let me read this. Now, I have literally probably 400,000 words here, so I'm just going to try to shorten it down. Um, you know, there's some people I get on the show, and here, here's something really funny, Daniel. Um, there's a friend of ours. His name is Gene, um, Gene Benedict, and mm -hmm. I've known him for 20 years. And he's just an, an amazing guy. He's a counselor here. He was on my show. We talked about love and mercy and grace. Mm -hmm. And he's, he's been an associate pastor. He wor worked as a counselor in a church. Now he has his own practice. What I didn't know was, you know, the humongous stuff that he's done for the city and for uh, with these other Ph.D. guys and writing books and all this stuff. I'm mm -hmm. reading about him and I'm sitting in my in my show with him. I, was, I didn't know you do all this stuff. He goes, well, yeah, you know, he's just so humble. And, you know, I'm finding that these people that you don't know do all this stuff. You know, they're so humble. They're just humble people. And I, and I find you the same way. And I have to tell you, you know, that's it's incredible. And I just appreciate that. I can certainly appreciate that coming from you. Thank you so much. So anyway, so let me read this or le read some of this. Um, in 1975, Daniel E. Watford Sr., mm -hmm. got to get it right here, was appointed as the first coordinator of the services to the United States Armed Forces in the Federal Republic of Germany. I guess this is in Germany before the wall fell, so now we don't know it as just Germany. It was, mm -hmm. okay. That's correct. Um, by the Church of God in Christ. He was the administrative oversight of all, we're going to shorten this, uh, mm -hmm. COGIC, mm -hmm. okay, ministries and the congregations serving the military and their families in that country. Yes. So you were the oversight over that entire area. That's correct. Wow. Okay. Now, Coming into the present, we're going to call you Elder Daniel Wadford. Yes. Okay, so now you're, you're connected with a church, and you're actually the, a, a 
senior elder, aren't you, or something like that? I'm the executive elder. I'm mm -hmm. responsible for all of the administrative things. Most people would know it as an executive pastor that serves okay. with a senior pastor over all of our ministries. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, you and your wife, uh, you've joined the Children's Memorial back in uh, 1999. Mm -hmm. and, um, and I'm going to read this here or mention this here because I know in talking with you and uh, that your family is probably one of the biggest things you have in your life. Absolutely. Okay, so in your write-up, it says your children and your grandchildren are also members of the same church. That's correct. That's incredible. Not only is that incredible, that is so honoring. I don't know if you, you know that, feel that, or, or just never thought of it. Actually, I do because... My children are also partners in ministry with me as we serve this congregation under the leadership of the Bishop Samuel Edward Eigelhart. And I'm telling you that uh, it's great to be able to have all of your children want to go to church with you and want mm -hmm. to go to Bible study with you. And that's just uh, something that I appreciate. And your grandchildren. And my grandchildren. That's correct. Yeah. So, so, you know, it, it's really incredible. It, it's, uh, I, I find that very honoring. I mean, a person who has their children and grandchildren who serve and follow in your footstep, so to say, quote, unquote, you know, that, that is really honoring. So uh, let me go on with this. <clears throat> so you hold a B.A. in political science. Yes, sir. A master's in public administration. Yes, sir. And from the University of Texas in San Antonio. And here's interesting. We're going to talk about this. You're certified as a you're as a certified nonprofit professional. That's correct. Okay. Uh, you had 30 years of service in, in the U.S. Army. Yes, sir. Um, as a first command uh, sergeant major of the Financial Management Corps uh, Regiment and School. Yes, sir. And we're going to talk about that too because we had a nice little discussion about your entrance into the, into the military and what you wanted to do and what you got stuck with doing and what you came out and actually it just kind of today how it fit perfectly. We're going to discuss this in a little bit. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So since retiring, now that you're retired, okay, uh, you've served as the assistant to the executive director at Alamo Area Council of Governments and executive director of Community of Churches for Social Action in San Antonio, Texas. Yes, sir. That is a mouthful. We're going to talk about that, too. <laughs> okay, you're a consultant in the disciplines of nonprofit management and leadership and church administration. You also serve as the administrator for Children's Memorial. Uh, your ministry passion is for excellence, accountability, and responsibility in the service of God, okay, and society. And I think that, that uh, I got that off your, your church's website. I think yes. that's so perfect. It's, it's, I like that, to God and society. Because yes, people, people, for years, it's just been this, this narrow thing of God. You know, mm -hmm. well, but what about the community? What about the society? What about the people around you? Well, it's, it's God. And, and, and I like this because it really opens it up to where the scriptures really teach. Yes, sir. I believe that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, it is one of the most foundational things I teach in all my, you know, classes and, and everything. I tell people over and over again, read First John. You'll, you'll get it when you read First John, you know. <laughs> yes, sir. So um, I can tell you're military. The yes, sir is coming out a lot. <laughs> Well, we could do amen. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> but I'm certainly in agreement with you on all that you're saying. Thank you. Um, so let me go on. So uh, to that end, you served at the, as the co-project manager for the construction of the Praise Cathedral of San Antonio Worship Complex, which replaced the facility that, uh, that the fire destroyed in 2013, uh, which I put in there, which was miraculously built. Absolutely. If you're, when you're, those of you that are watching my show that aren't familiar with that, in 2013 we had a major fire and burned down. The major fire was the church itself. Yes, sir. Burned down the entire church. And through a lot of miraculous events, okay, uh, they were able to purchase, you know, and rebuild their, their church. It is much it's really nice. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying, some people are going to hear this, and it's going to take them down a special path. 
it took us exactly 36 months to the day from the time the church caught fire to the time we moved into with a, with a provisional certificate of occupancy, our church, new complex, on 29 February 2016. 36 months to the day. And that's exciting for us. Yeah. It's really incredible. And when we go and we talk, you're going to share your story. And I think that people, the miracles that you have experienced in your life are really cool. Because, you know, people, I think, all through life, they're like, well, how do I really know about God? How do I know this? Well, I haven't seen that. But you know what? When you have lived through them and you have seen them, Mm -hmm. I've lived through some things that, you know, makes God undeniable. Absolutely. And I think that I've seen that in your story that makes him undeniable. I mean, just there's just uh, several things, actually. Absolutely. um, Now... So here I, I read in here, you've proven yourself to be a true servant to your family, your country, your church, your community, and most importantly to God. Yes, sir. You don't want to miss this program, people. I mean, you don't want to just watch half of this because this is true. We're going to talk about what it is to have a servant's heart. And um, uh, as we get into the study, we're going to talk more about not just what, to be a servant, but what is it in the eyes of Jesus and what is it in the teachings of the scripture mm-hmm. to be a servant. So we're going to do that. So let's just go to you. Let's just talk about you and your life. You know, I have to tell you, I, I'm believing that your daughter is watching this, okay? And so, Lorena, <laughs> I, I have to tell you a story because I didn't get to tell you this. Uh, you have to understand, I, I've known Rose for a little longer than I've, I've known Daniel. Yes. And uh, she's, she's really neat. We, would, we were moved, moving and her, and her, her, which I thought was her son, which is funny because he's as whiter than I am, you know, and, and, uh, which is her son-in-law. He's and, our son. Okay. Just like my other son that my, daughter, <laughs> my other daughter brought home. We're family. So, and his name is Rick. But anyway, they would come, and we were giving and donating and talking and doing things. And so um, we happened to have this electric top that we had to buy from the builder and replace. And so mm-hmm. uh, your wife graciously sold it for us on eBay. I mean, it was just more than, it just meant more than you know. So the funny thing is that we went over to their house, and I have never met Lorena, ever, okay? Mm-hmm. So we're standing there. You're standing on, on my side, and, yes. there, and there's Rose, and, and my wife is standing here. And we're, we're trying to be a little spatial here because it's the coronavirus period. We're really not knowing. And we're figuring you're probably okay because uh-huh. you're staying in. We're definitely staying in. My wife is like, you know, we're not going anywhere. Really? <laughs> it's like... Well, anyway, in the midst of this, your daughter walks down. Norita comes down without, without missing a heartbeat, walks right up to me and gives me this hug. And I'm like frozen because I'm thinking, okay, we're supposed to have space here. <laughs> so I give her the hug because I'm a huggy guy. I mm-hmm. really am. Mm-hmm. So we do that. And then, then we talk, and she's getting her master's, you know, I guess in a counseling area of some type. Our master's is going to be in business uh, management. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I gave her a book in counseling. I wonder why I did that then. Well, <laughs> that's because she's interested in that. Maybe that's what it was. The soft skill set that we need if we're going to work with people. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, the f- now here's where it gets really interesting. So after that day, and we go home, and I didn't think of, of anything about it except for I thought, this, is, this family's really neat. I really like this family. You know, you're a total military family from, from every everywhere you know and that and you can see it all over your walls every every wall people every wall had had a military design of some type and i think it's from every part of the family (laughs) every person has each of my children's families have their own wall and of course their own military service recognized there among other things and the reason the preponderance is military is because they all retired except for one son who's got like 26 years in, and he's, he's thinking about what he's going to do. <laughs> well, you, if you write, if you type in Daniel E. Wadford on, on the Internet, he'll pop up. He will. He will pop up. He's got special awards and, and, and uh, medallions or whatever it is. And, and mm-hmm. so I read about him, and, you know, I was confused whether it was you or not. It just looked like a younger you. 
you know, so I just didn't know. Well, anyway, four days after we went to your house, I get this big notification from Lorena. Rick is having to go in for coronavirus testing. <laughs> and I'm thinking, and I am going to also, I'm thinking, I was just there a few days ago. She just yeah. hugged me. I just, I'm like, and so I'm telling Susan this, and Susan freaking out. <laughs> oh, my. Because <laughs> she is, she is all about, because she's high risk. So, mm-hmm. so here, here we're, we're, we're with holding our breath, find, mm-hmm. trying to find out. And finally, you know, she writes back, Rick is okay. However, I'm pretty sick. <laughs> Not with coronavirus, but I have all this medicine. It was hilarious. But, you know, it kind of like, whoa. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. You know, God, he does save us and protects us from dangers seen and unseen. And looking behind sometimes, we say, wow, why did I do that? And then we look at the present and say, you know, that wasn't bad. That was all right. Yeah. Sure. So tell us about our, yourself. Give us your story because I'm interested. You, you did some pretty incredible things getting into and in the military. All right. And talk to us about your military experience. Well, for those of you who have an idea of what the Army was like in 1969-68, the Vietnam War was going on, and of course the Army was integrated, and, uh, and the people were kind of working together, but we had some other areas where we needed some, some training. The Big Army, I called it. When I said I was enlisting, and I did, I enlisted to be airborne, I enlisted to be special forces, and I knew I wanted to be an infantryman and things like that. And so that's what I wanted. I showed up to basic training and I graduate from basic training and then they tell me, uh, Watford, and they call my name out, and I'm the only one they call out like this, uh, Watford, you're going to finance. And I said, what's a finance? What is a finance? And I didn't know. Well, uh... Well, Finance Corps, financial management, had everything to do with paying soldiers and being responsible for the accounting of funds and and all of those kinds of things. And so I grew up in the Finance Corps, United States Army Finance Corps. And oh, by the way, the motto of the Finance Corps is to support and serve. So I went through this. And I went through basic training, and I went through advanced individual training, and the bottom line is, in spite of what people were saying about racial unrest and attitudes, I found out how to get promoted. I went from being the youngest soldier in the Army, and that's because of even my birth date, not only my my name in alphabetical order, but I went from that to being the number one soldier, the top non-commissioned officer in the Financial Management Corps. And oh, by the way, that position did not even exist until they created it and then offered me the opportunity to do it. And I've got to tell you, I've served with some wonderful leaders. I've been partners at the Command Sergeant Major rank for 10 years before my retirement. Here's the secret I found. In spite of what people think of you because of how you look, if they need something done and you can get it done, if you will be a servant and not worry about, and let me give you this little quote here. It said that Harry Truman said, it's amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. So I was a guy that was helping other people. I was a guy that made it a point to be valuable where I was. And if somebody else could do a job better than me, they could have it. But I wanted to sharpen my skill set so that when they called people to do particular jobs, I would be the one they would choose. Now, a little backstory on this. Uh, I had a basketball, and I went to a basketball court one day in Brooklyn, New York, and they took my ball, they chose up sides, they did not choose me, and I had to go home without my ball. Why did that happen? Because I couldn't play, I couldn't shoot, I couldn't jump. And I decided any team that I wanted to be on, I was going to find out what was needed. And if I can't qualify to do what's necessary there, then I'm just going to do something else. And so that's been my mantra since uh, my early days. 30 years later, I retired taking care of soldiers. And the only reason they had to promote me was to take care of soldiers. And I'm excited about the things that I learned as a soldier and uh, Hats off to everyone who's serving in our military right now. We really appreciate you. That's neat. So basically, it looks like you actually under 
Well, I don't know if you understood, but it, it looks like you became kind of like a servant-minded person when you were young. Actually, when soldiers are taught what sergeant means, sergeant means servant. And the higher you go in rank from sergeant to staff sergeant to sergeant first class, all the way up to command sergeant major, it has everything to do with serving all of those people that people think are uh, you're above. That's not it. It's you're down there making sure that they have opportunity, that they have what they need, and that they're protected in what they're charged to do. Wow. Now, I understand you did serve in... Um you were, you were in special ops, and you were in um, Airborne, weren't you? I was the command sergeant major of the 82nd Finance Battalion, 82nd Airborne Division, Hua, all the way. And my partner there was a gentleman named, well, I won't give you his name, but he did some wonderful things. Uh, and I also spent my time in the 101st Airborne Division in finance, but when we were called upon to do some other things, financial support, we did that. Wow, that's pretty cool. Now, <clears throat> tell me about Germany. What happened to you in Germany? Why, why what, where, did, where did this all be put on top of your shoulders to become what you did? Are you talking about the time as the uh, oversight for? Yes. All right. We had a lot of churches, ministers from our denomination that were doing things in support of the chaplain, and they were meeting a need. Um, so I was not the first minister in Germany. But what ended up happening was the chaplaincy was challenged on how they could harness the good and make sure people did not make errors. That would cost them later on. Mm -hmm. And so there was a need for the Church of God in Christ to do something. I was solicited by the Use for Chaplain at that time to look into this. I shared it with the uh, mission department of the Church of God in Christ. And then in November uh, 1975, I received my ordination, certainly out of time, uh, normal time within the Church of God in Christ and tasked to be that administrative oversight and to ensure that uh, not only that the ministry would be helpful and not harmful, we were all young then, but also to help write the denominational service leader pamphlet so that everyone understood what the rules of engagement were in service to those who would prefer our type of service over what they're receiving in the military. And oh, by the way, there were no Church of God in Christ chaplains at that time. Oh, okay. So basically, because I, I would think that's normally a chaplain's position to, to do this. That's correct. And oh, by the way, I'm, one, I'm the only person I know that was assigned to be responsible for religious worship, and they put it in my, tra my travel orders, human self-development, that the northern sites in Germany... Uh, Flensburg and Kellenhusen and places like that, uh, that we would be able to minister to those people because there was no chaplain there. But they did assign me a chaplain's assistant, and I'm excited about that too. Wow. That's pretty incredible, especially for the military to do, to do this. Yes. So. But you know what? I found out again. When you are a servant and when you have a servant's heart, and I want you to understand, that's not about, look at how great I am. This is not about being a hero and choosing something that you're really going to be recognized for. No, it's about finding your niche and seeing how you can help. And that's not a hero. Real servants are looking for all the help they can get because they realize they can't do everything by themselves. Very few things can they do by themselves. But heroes, they pick something, they say, here it is, God, this is what I'm going to do for you. And then they run into all kinds of oppositions and walls. And i got to tell you that I needed a servant's heart. I need a special crushing and making so that we could get to the point wherein we were able to, uh, under the leadership of our senior pastor, Bishop Eigelhart, and he was going through some serious challenges there, medical, uh, that we would be able to build that facility in a manner that the whole congregation that remained with us wanted to do. So basically what you're saying is that your, your development of a servant's heart 
And the fact that you were in finance prepared you through the time uh, to where you had the situation in your church with, with your bishop and also the church burning. That's correct. And oftentimes people are wondering what they're going to be, and the question is, what are you doing now? What are you being now? What can God, what can the people you're responsible for depend on you to do now? And therein is the challenge. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I know a, a very prominent worship uh, pastor, and he, he basically said there was, when people come to him who want to perform or you know lead worship and help out mm. and so forth mm. and he might give them a, a position or a job that he needs done and they're like well i didn't see myself doing this and so he's like oh well the, so what you want is to be recognized <laughs> <You know? laughs> so so he really captures that right away do they really have a, a are they really a servant yeah are they really under surrender to to god or are they really about themselves that's absolutely right. And that doesn't mean when you're a servant that you're going to be able to do something notable, but you will be noticed and you will be respected by the people that you're joined to. I can think of Joseph as an example. I can think of David as an example, these characters in the Bible. I can think of so many people that have, even that I've run into, that have been great examples of having a servant's heart. Um. It almost comes, well, it comes to my mind, I mean, the fact that Jesus said, because when there was the, the I want to be with you first, next to you in, in heaven, That's and Jesus right. says, well, the first will be last, and the last will be first. It's interesting, because I started thinking more and more about this, well, you know, this week, and I started realizing, you know, what Jesus is basically saying here, for, I, I believe, I could, you know, you can correct me, add to it, take away I think he's saying if you have a servant's heart and you serve, which becomes the last, mm. then you have a way to be positioned with me as the first. Not only do I agree with that, but there's a passage of Scripture, St. Luke chapter 22. And in this portion of Scripture, you find that Jesus has this supper with his uh, disciples. We call it the upper room supper. But then afterwards... Give me some water. Give me a bowl. And he wrapped himself up, and it was a thing of him taking the lowest servant in the house's position, and he washed their feet. Peter said, do you know who you are? <laughs> You're the Messiah. You, we got this figured out. We believe the Son of God thing and everything. There's no way in the world you're going to wash my feet. Jesus said, if I can't wash your feet, then... You have no part with me. I have no part with you. What Jesus, that message was one of servitude. And that was one of doing for others what they're not able to do for themselves. And trust me, if we do this, God will keep us in a position wherein you'll be not necessarily the part that's seen. But I've got to tell you something. If you start to see my physical heart, I'm dead. But you know that my physical heart is working. You might be the, the proverbial heart of an organization. People won't see you. But without you, it's not working. You might be the one that's connecting things. You might be the one that sits down and figures out some of the challenges that have to be overcome. All of these things that are needed to be in the body of Christ, there is room for all of us in the body of Christ. We just have to be willing to serve not heroes doing what we think we want to do and get credit for, but rather to be, what can I do next? How do I help? And then giving somebody else an opportunity to creating opportunity for others. You know, there's a, a passage I teach a lot about. It's in John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Mm -hmm. And Jesus is in the upper room. He's talking to his disciples. He's already washed their feet, mm -hmm. okay? And I believe they they've, uh, might have just finished their meal. And he says, I give you a new commandment. Yes. That you love one another as yes. I have loved you. Mm -hmm. And by the way you love one another, the world will know that you're my disciples. Yes. So I've been thinking about this. Again, I've been thinking a lot about this servanthood and this heart of a servant. Um, 
And so I started thinking about that scripture and how that may even fit in. And I'm starting to believe, looking at the, the term agape, mm-hmm. understanding the meaning of agape, yes, which is to give of yourself without the expectation of return. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a servant. That's exactly right. So, and I, you know what's, what's interesting? It's so like, like this, uh, this dawn on me, you know. Um, I, I'm starting to believe that it's more than just we need to give to one another, love one another, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. It's the idea that if we're giving to one another of ourselves without expectation of return, mm-hmm. is Jesus now saying that in this belongs the heart of a servant? I think so. If you don't mind, let me share with you a little bit about, uh, about Joseph. God put something in him, and he had a dream. He told it to his brothers. They sold him. When they sold him, he went to a man who had means, and the man put him in charge of his house. And Joseph worked and worked and worked, and he didn't put him in charge of the house right away, but everything that Joseph touched administratively, it got good. So finally he says, you, got, you run the house. And then you can read on and see how Joseph ended up in prison. Well, I don't know that they had trustees back then, but they sure enough realized that Joseph had some skills. So now Joseph is running things in the prison. And then the butler and the baker and Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. It's an excellent read in the book of Genesis. And he's brought before Pharaoh and Pharaoh... He's my dream. What does it mean? And he gave the dream. And then Joseph, after giving the interpretation of the dream, the seven lean years, the seven years of plenty before that, Pharaoh says, is there anybody better to oversight all the things that are necessary for this than Joseph? I submit to you, Joseph never stopped being a servant. It's just that now he's elevated to the point of being the servant of Israel, excuse me, Egypt, with the authority of Pharaoh by the wearing of the ring and the clothes he had came from Pharaoh. When we stop trying to be in charge, God will put us where people will want us and we'll be better off, we'll be happier than trying to strain to do something, get a recognition that God doesn't want us to have. Listen, a servant does not dismiss the principal in their life, the the primary person or, or the primary organization. The servant does not dismiss the principle. The servant meets the needs. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 speaks to us about, and he gave some to be, and the fivefold ministry is example there. And you know what? He gave some to be apostles. He gave some to be prophets, to be evangelists, and some, and I love this, pastors and teachers. And pastors who do not have the patience to teach will not have a congregation. I'm not like just talking about senior pastors. I'm talking about other associate pastors. We have to be able and willing to answer the why and to meet the need. And no matter how the people behave, David and the sheep, we have got to be able to tend to the needs of the people of God and be on the lookout for anything that's going to harm the people of God, David the shepherd and the sheep. So that when God is looking for somebody who has his own heart, then just like David, he can say, I want you. And he knows how to pull you from the backside of the mountain and put you where you need to be. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah. It's interesting because uh, when we were talking the other day and Joseph came up in our conversation. Yes. And jo- Joseph is one of three or four of my favorite characters in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Probably, one of the, probably one of the best characters. And, and probably because... I see him, other than Jesus, is probably the wisest guy in the Bible. Mm. And because he, you know, and I was sharing this about Solomon, how mm-hmm. he really did a lot of unwise things. But his definition of wisdom is what I really hold on to. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, the, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Yes. And when you look at Joseph's life, you know, all through his life, he had this reverence of God that was beyond Imagination. Yes. I mean, you think about it. How many of us will go and and not become embittered by 
our family who sells us into slavery, or becoming bitter because we're in jail for 13 years, or becoming bitter because of all these things. We get upset. We ask God why. We, we start complaining. And yet Joseph honored God. The people who were in charge of him noticed that, that God was in, in his life, that God honored him and blessed him because of his loyalty to God and his loyalty to them. And I think you're right. I think his life not only showed a, uh, a lifestyle of wisdom and honor, but a life of servanthood. And I think that the greatness of Joseph is the epitome, you know, and the very foundation of what we see in Jesus. I think you're right. And I have a working definition of wisdom. Mm -hmm. And that is wisdom as I understand it, as I believe it. Wisdom is the timely, the appropriate application of information or knowledge. If we say something and it's the wrong time or it's the wrong place, then we cause harm. Wisdom causes one to hold his mouth and hold his peace. Wisdom causes one to navigate through the challenges of life that are disruptive and that would bring a reproach on God and move to the point where what we do is going to cause kingdom work to be advanced. Well, that would make most of us husbands pretty unwise. <laughs> but thankfully our wives are there to, you know, keep us in line. They let us know how, Rosemary knows how to make sure I understand what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> oh, you know, I have, uh, I want you to tell us about the church, the, the fire of the church. I, wa I want to hear, I want the, I want to hear, I want the people, our audience to understand what happened in that fire and what happened in, in the coming about of the new church. Yes. Well, again, I want to acknowledge that my senior pastor has been, since I've been in Texas, uh, 21 years now, was the Bishop Samuel Edward Iglehart. He's a principal person in this because he's a businessman who had his own trucking company and he was able to do things uh, with knowledge and understanding that other people couldn't match. He's a very prominent person in this. He gave life to everything we did. So I went to Bishop Iglehart in April of 2011 and I said, Bishop Iglehart, God has given me a prophetic utterance and I, I really need to speak it. He said, oh yeah? <laughs> about who? I said, me. And so he said, go ahead. And so he gave me space in the church, and it didn't take long to stand up before the people and say, God has given me to know that he is going to crush me. He's going to take me out. He is going to do things in me and fix me in a manner that uh, we won't even be able to understand. We can't utter it. But I am going to be taken out for 40 and 8 weeks for Eight. That'll help somebody who understands numbers in the Bible. And so we went on. That was the fourth month. In January of 2012, the end of the month, I go to the hospital. I hear words, well, we'll see. And if he makes it through the night. Forty and eight weeks to the day, I was taking medications that had a terrific negative effect on my body, uh, the side effects, but the doctor gave it to me because they were trying to do something to save my life. Well, the bottom line is I went down to 135 pounds. I couldn't go out. My immune system was destroyed. My, my mental acuity was gone. I lost, literally lost my mind. My children were around me. God brought them all there. Not me, but the military caused all my children to be brought to San Antonio. And so uh, 48 weeks to the day, the doc says, we're going to stop the medicine. And oh, by the way, I had a psychiatrist that at least once a week would ask me, how do you feel? Do you want to kill yourself? Do you want to hurt anybody? What happens if this doesn't work? What are you going to do then? And I said, I got 48 weeks. And I was counting. I remember specifically counting the months counting the weeks, counting the days. And finally, they said, stop it. So January 2013, I come out. I'm just as pale as a ghost. I've lost so much weight. Uh, I'm in trouble. I'm barely moving. But God said 48 weeks and my time was up. Put a pen in that. 
1 February 2013. I'd been at the church that Friday night, and we left the church. We locked it up. Just before midnight, the church caught fire. Google, uh, or however you want to do it, Children's Memorial Fire, and it will come up. It'll show you how devastated, destroyed the church was. And so when that happened, shortly thereafter, uh, it became a question of what are we going to do, how are we going to build. Bishop Iglehart told everybody, he said, the building is destroyed, but the church remains. And then he got sick. That's right. The yes. building is destroyed, but the church remains, and then he gets sick. He's, he's getting sick and sicker by the day. I'm getting stronger by the day. And then finally, one thing leading to another, uh, we ended up being able to find land. He said, Daniel, we need some land. About five years ago, we looked at such and such. Uh, go see if they'll sell it. How much can we get? And so I went out, and the person that met me out there, I called. He says, no, uh, they won't subdivide. you got to buy the whole thing. You're going to be in a bad spot here, the off-ramp from, from the uh, interstate. And we looked at that, and I said, wow. And the price was just more than we could even think about. So I asked him, I said, do you have any other property? And he said, yes. We, I, there's another one I know about. It's kind of still in probate right now, but if you want to see it, let's go. I went to that property, and I called Bishop Iglehart, and Deacon Murphy Robinson was with him. And Deacon Robinson and Bishop Iglehart came to where I was, and they looked at it. We made another call to a couple of members of your church, Community Bible, uh, Jimmy Powell, uh, Powers and Bear Goolsby. They're Powers Goolsby architects. And we were thinking about them being the architects for our church at that time. So we called them, and we looked at the land. This is at 5895 Ben Zingelman Road, right next to Kirby Park, for those of you that want to go by and see it. And the bottom line is, God blessed that this family of legal minds came together and they were excited to sell us 25 acres for more, excuse me, for less money and at a, in a more convenient ma manner than we could find anywhere else. And so we went before the church. The church said, yea, verily, do it. And everything we did, Bishop Iglehart led the church. The church said yes. And when the church would say yes to something, then the trustee board would do the corporate resolution concerning it. And then Deacon Robinson and I had our marching orders. Well, we got the land. God gave us that. God gave us then, oh, but by the way, I'm sorry. Let me back up. 1 February, church caught on fire. 2 February, around 2 o'clock, it's put out, pretty much gone. 3 February, Thursday, excuse me, Sunday, Sunday, the 3rd of February, we're sitting in the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center because the city has done so much. Mayor Ivy Taylor, then she was councilwoman, got with the mayor, got with the city manager, and they allowed us to have that Sunday morning service in the Henry B. Gonzalez Convention Center. They did all the logistics for us. All we had to do was go in and have church. So we're sitting out in the lobby area, and uh, Brother Emmett, you know Robert Emmett? I know him, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he shows up, and he says, I'm looking for Bishop Iglehart. And we said, well, Bishop Iglehart is right here. And he says, Bishop Iglehart, we saw the fire. Our hearts are, are grieved for you, and uh, we got something for you. The board said, yes, and we got something for you. But got a check. And Bishop Iglehart said, thank you very much. He said, I can't stay. I'm, I'm going on a trip out of town. But I had to drop this off. And Bishop Iglehart takes that envelope, and he's putting it in his pocket. Brother, Brother Emmett said, uh, you might want to look at that. <laughs> Bishop Iglehart looked at it. He said, Daniel, what does that say? I said, Bishop, it says $100,000. And he said, God bless you. Talk about God touching people's hearts and giving them the ability, the means. A lot of people have a desire to do something, but they don't have the means. There's something preventing them. But, but from Community Bible Church, that first $100,000, that was awesome. Then we got a call, please come over, First Presbyterian in San Antonio. We want to give you something. $100,000. So there's $200,000, and we hadn't asked anybody for anything. And so now time is moving on, 
and it's in March the 1st. The Community of Churches for Social Action and uh, the Texas Southwest Jurisdiction of the Church of God in Christ and others got together and they put on a benefit service, two hours. At the end of that two hours of singing songs of victory and singing songs of praise and holding on to God and encouraging one another, uh, they raised for us $104,000. Awesome. Where did this come from? Where did this love come from? Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom. We felt that. We felt that. And so, a few days later, got the word, come by the San Antonio Area Foundation. All right? And they said, a person or entity that does not want to be known has paid all the expense and used us as a go-between to give you this check. $100,000. Why am I calling names? Because when God blesses somebody to bless you, it is important that you recognize the God that touched their heart and the people that supported them. And oh, by the way, I gotta tell you something, until you understand the, the trauma, until you understand the complexity of the trial, of the test, mm -hmm. you have no idea of the testimony. Yeah. 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 So, God blessed us. Let me give you something else. You can go on the, on the internet and you can ask, what was the weather like on the week leading up to 1 February? And it will show you how high the winds got. When I looked, they said the winds got sporadically up to 22 miles per hour. Look at what the weather was, see what the wind was on the night of the 1st of February and then the 2nd of February, and you'll find two to six miles an hour. Then go a little bit after that, to the right of that, and see what the winds were. They went back up, and I think on the 25th of February, it got as high as 30 miles an hour. The fire chief said, if we had the winds blowing like they had been blowing the day before, it would have probably taken out the entire block or more because it was such a horrific fire. But not even the next door neighbor had a loss because of the fire. And, and even the, from what I understand, even the insurance company couldn't, uh, not insurance company, well, insure all the, the inspectors from the state yeah, and the, the government. arson inspectors, that's they exactly right. They could not find right. that there was a person that lit the fire. They couldn't even find where it was, was uh, started. They came back to us and said, we don't know how that fire started. We really don't. Mm -hmm. But what we do know is no human being had anything to do with that fire. That was a joint decision after they did their independent works. And we're excited about that because that allowed our insurance money to be released to us so that we could build. We couldn't rebuild there simply because it just was not feasible. We were landlocked, there was no, no parking. There were many things that prohibited that. But I gotta tell you, God blessed us. He blessed us with Pauls Goolsby. He blessed us with uh, Techstar Bank, I gotta tell you. God touched their hearts. And the only thing I want to tell you about that, because that's a business transaction, is God touched hearts so that when we found out what was required to get a considerable loan, we were able to go back to our church and we had everything we needed to submit to them. Hear what I said there? Mm -hmm. They didn't break any rules, but they opened up and told us what we need. And we went back to our church and our trustee board, and we were able to put together what was necessary for us to secure a loan. Manny Ruiz, the freight guy, Jason McLean, great guy, all these people, Melanie Brom, great person, they helped us. Why? Because we went to them saying, we have something to do, we don't know how to do it, but we have to do it for this church which was different than going to, that's what a servant does. I've got something to do. I'm not in charge of you. I'm not in charge of anybody. As opposed to somebody saying, I'm here, and this is what you will do because you owe me. And from 
and I'm, Mark, correct me if I'm wrong, but you basically kind of re had the reins in this whole thing. Absolutely. All the contracts on be and this is what Bishop Eigelhart said. He says, Daniel, uh, I want you to get, and we're going to talk about who's going to be our general contractor. But then the other part of this is, I want everybody, including the general contractor, working for us. So what are you saying, Bishop? He said, all the engineers, all the other people, haven't worked for us. And so God blessed with guidance from and holding hands with Murphy Robertson. I got to thank him and his wife because we're just partners. We'll never stop being partners. When Bishop Iglehart gave me that test, and Murphy had been with Bishop Iglehart longer than I had, oh, wow. So it was just feeding off of each other because neither one was in charge of the other. We're all trying to do the same thing. The building permit took 69 days to get after we got the blueprints. I got to tell you something else. When Powers Goldsby gave us that, the, those, those plans, the finished plans, on the, night of the, on the night of the New Year's transition from December 31st to January 1st, 2013, we have a watch night service. And that night we prayed over those plans that God would bless us. Here's something. We built this entire church from the dirt to the hole to the flagpole to the cross on the front. And we didn't have one change order that we needed to implement because the people were upset and they wanted something different. That's a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I've been in churches where, you know, it's so funny because... Um, I have a pastor that I grow well on. I've talked to you about the pastor sure, I lived sure. with. And so he was pastor in a church in, in Hawaii, and he got offered a senior adult pastor position in Oregon. Uh -huh. And he said, he said, I'll take it if I don't have to be on a board. Yeah. <laughs> because they can be so harsh. Oh, and argumentative and it decided, divisive. It's, it's, so, yeah. Every time the church said something or asked a question, because, and they did. We didn't have carte blanche do what we want to do. We had weekly meetings. We had videos through the whole thing. But every time they wanted to know something or why we were doing something, Brother Roberts and I talked about it. We were servants. Because we were servants, we were answering questions. We answered questions. It's not because we do or we were in charge. That's the blessing that God gave. And then Bishop Iglehart gave it life. You know, I wonder if... If real, not just real power, but but real exaltation, real. Um, what's the word I'm trying to say? When things are done, that uh, such as with the church, or such as with Joseph coming out with with uh, the famine and so forth, if real miracles and real things happen, yes, because of the servant, because well, of the heart of the servant, because of the servant submitting to God and saying, "I will." Well, it's like Isaiah. Mm -hmm. I mean, Isaiah, you know, where you, where you want to take me, I'll go. Yeah. You know. And when we're not in competition with God, but we're servants and everybody knows that the only... Re the scripture says the just shall live by faith. Let right. me tell you what that means. The just shall live by faith. It means something different than most people are thinking right now. What it means is when you're just, when you're in right standing with God and others... He'll put you so far out there. You'll be like a turtle sitting on a fence post in Texas in the middle of August. How in the world did you get there? And a week later, you'll still be there doing what you need to do because God sustains you. Yeah. And then he and only he can get the glory out of all of this. I want to read a couple of scriptures here. Um, <clears throat> one's in Matthew 20, verse 28. And it says this, and, and this is Jesus speaking. Mm. He says, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, mm -hmm. but to serve. Yes. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Yes. So it's interesting. Jesus, you know, when I talk to couples and I do counseling couples or I'm going to do a, a wedding and so forth, I talk about this. It's, it's like Jesus came to serve. Yes. He was the head the church he is the head but he came to serve 
Yes. And I think that's so profound because in our minds, in our human type thinking, we think, well, the head is in charge. They're the ones that have to be served. But Jesus teaches it totally the opposite. Absolutely. Totally opposite. And I think that's really, really unique. Here, and there's another one. In First uh, John 3.18, it says, Dear children, this is John speaking, let not let us not love in words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Yes. And I think it's not just the idea that we are servants, but it's the idea that we are we're living it. It's it's our lifestyle. I agree with that. You know, I think that that's 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 huge because. Uh, and, I, and I mentioned, I don't know if I talked to you that, but this the other day, but I know I've mentioned to other people, you know, you could be a servant that begrudges everything you're asked to do. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about is having the heart of a servant, which is, you know, the desire to do, the desire to serve. To be a disciple is to be a disciplined follower. If we're going to be disciples of Christ, we must discipline ourselves to follow him. And I don't know how you get to be a Christian without Christ. That is really a, a great say. You got to repeat that. That is really good. People need to hear that. It is important to realize that to be a disciple is to be a disciplined follower. We have to discipline ourselves to follow after Christ. And I don't know how you get to be a Christian without Christ. Yeah. I mean, how, how many of us jump into the arena of Christianity, if you will, mm-hmm. and think you don't have to be disciplined, think you don't have to follow the rules or yes. follow the teachings. And, and that's my struggle. Um, it, it's, it's the following the teachings. I mean, I was just uh, on watching Facebook the other day, and there was a question. And so there's, there's a guy that I, that I know. He's always asking these little questions. And I usually read them and I let them go and I don't get involved. But there's one about, you know, uh, this thing, does God change his mind? And this guy said, writes in there about, um, and I don't know this person, but he writes in there, well, well no, he doesn't because uh, three, three, Gospel of uh, John 3.16 says, Gospel of the world that he gave his son that we have everlasting life. And he ended it. Oh. So if God gave it to you, he wouldn't take it away. I'm like, well, so I had to jump in. Mm-hmm, and so well, first mm-hmm. off, you're misquoting the scripture. Yes. And secondly, let's talk about the word believe here. It's an active verb. It's something we act upon. Mm-hmm. You've got to act upon the teachings. You've got to follow. Yes. And if you're not following, you're not what the original language says is an active part of it. Absolutely. And, and I think that a lot of our world, Daniel, I think a lot of our churches are so guilty of this you know, God is love, so I don't need to worry about living for him because I'm going to heaven because God is love, and I don't have to think about a thing other than that. He's a just. He's a righteous. He is a forgiving God. Exactly. But if we reject him, we reject his promises. Yeah, yeah. Alan, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Are we done? <laughs> okay, well, let me, let me read. There's another scripture here. Right I, I do want to read this. Um, this is in Galatians. And the reason I want these scriptures is because the Bible is so full of the fact that we need to have that servant's heart. We yes. need to live for one another. We need to do for one another. Wow. And I like the idea we need when we love one another, we're giving of ourselves. We're, yes. we're a servant. And so in Galatians 5.13, it says, you, and this is Paul speaking, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. Mm-hmm. Now, I want you to really get this. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Yes. Rather, serve one another in humility and love. Yes. Wow. I mean, this here is really, if you have anything to show to take away from this passage, you need to mark it down, read it, pray about it, because I think too many of us are, are in this thing of, I'm in America, I'm free. I've been saved, I'm free, and it's all about me, myself, and I, oh my. and my Savior, Jesus, rather than he's my Lord, I'm his servant, and I honor and serve you by honoring him. And yes. we, we've missed that. We've missed it in the sermons in our churches. We miss it in the teachings of our classes, and we're missing it in the lifestyles of our churches. And I think this scripture, 5.13, Galatians 5.13, mm-hmm. is a key verse 
for our lifestyles to change radically to have that servant's heart. Amen, brother. You hit it, Alan. Oh, thank you. You know, you're such a blessing. Your family is such a blessing. I, you know, you guys need to look up, look these guys up. You know, Daniel Watford. I mean, it's just, the family is amazing. They're family people. They're military people. They're just wonderful. And they excel. They excel because they love. They love because they're servants. And I just really honor you. Daniel on this show because I think you and your family, I mean, I fell in love with your wife. Rose is amazing. She is just really amazing. She is. She, she really is. is. She's just one of my favorite people. She's my so. first girlfriend. <laughs> and well, I asked her to marry me the day I met her. Well, what's so funny is that I'm real, I'm real, I've got this sarcastic way about me. So the first time we ever met, we're in this garage and we're talking and she's being right back in my face. I'm like, this is great. <laughs> Because <laughs> my wife, she didn't like it at all, you know. Oh, my. So, but but Rose and I, it's like, well, I have to go an hour later. Well, I still have to go. <laughs> and we're just talking. It was just been really nice. So it's been such a pleasure knowing you. It's a pleasure knowing your family. And I'm really honored that you're on my show. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us on The Believer's Journey. Have a wonderful week. We're going to continue our uh, lesson next week on uh, becoming like Jesus. We're going to talk about forgiveness next week. So join us. Aloha. Have a wonderful week. Thank you. Alan Cutting and the Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.